So part one of our Sheffield special episode ended in the Nottingham House pub. I had failed to find Ruth's house, but I knew where I could find a bunch of lads who could help me. So in the pub, the hobos got down to business. How can we identify Ruth's house? Rustling Road is lined on one side by high, imposing Victorian villas, and they are largely identical. The only features which set them apart are the the window frames. What colour are they painted? And up on the roof, do they have a loft window or a skylight installed? But these are all features which can and do change over the years as trends develop, as new owners move in, or as the Yorkshire weather takes its toll. In the film, Ruth's house has a nice, easily identifiable square skylight on the roof. Okay, great, that should be easy to spot. And the house next to Ruth's in the film has a very distinctive skylight made up of three panes of glass. Now, easy, all we need to do is find that combo on the street. But we couldn't. There was no pair of houses with that skylight combination. The new owners had uh, selfishly modernised their home. So let's look at the windows. Many of the houses have a big bay window on the ground floor and then a smaller bay on the first. But Ruth's house in the film had a flat, modern window on the first floor. So let's look for that combo. Bay on the ground, flat on the first. But again, the windows had all been changed. And other houses on the street had that combination. Paintwork had changed, the windows had changed, the skylights have changed... So how do I find it? The answer came from Sean, who we heard from in the last episode, and he had a brainwave, which was (laughs) stunning in its simplicity. Don't look at the house, he suggested. Look at the garden. In the film, Ruth's house had a scraggly hedge around the garden, with an old brick wall below it. So throw that into the mix. And once we added that variable to our search, thanks to Sean, we found it. So we went back to Rustling's Road the next day, and there it was, as plain as anything. A house with a flat window on the first floor, and a square skylight on the roof, and a hedge and an old brick wall in the front garden. There are pics of it on my Patreon site, and you will see that, at last, we had found it. Ruth's house, number 97, Rustling's Road. And when you stand at the foot of the steps which lead up to the house... It does indeed loom high over you and you can see that the Kemp family, when they arrived to visit, they may have felt a tiny bit intimidated when they visited the Beckets. Once I got home and watched the scenes again with Ruth's house, you can also see that when her mother goes to the window and peeps through the curtain to watch for her soon-to-be in-laws, you can vaguely see a tree through the net curtain. Well, that tree is still there. So yes, we have found it, 97 Rustling Road. So I took plenty of photographs, although when Sean went along to take photographs, he was braver than I. He actually approached the homeowner in a, of course, polite and respectful manner. He said that when he was taking his photographs of the house, he noticed a woman watching him. And he thought, quite correctly, I don't want to alarm her, so I will knock the door and explain what I'm doing. And when he did that... He asked her, you know, are are you aware that this house was in threads? And she had no idea. 
So um, <laughs> I know it's hard for us to understand, but there are some people out there who just aren't bothered about threads, even when they're living in Ruth's house. But for now, let's go back to the pub and meet some more hobos. Okay, so we're here in the Nottingham house in Sheffield, and I've got some atomic hobos with me. And here we have Tony. So Tony, can you tell us about yourself? Um, yeah, I'm uh, Tony, I'm 47, nearly 48. Um, grew up in London, uh, went to university in Sheffield, so uh, maybe a Threads connection there, that kind of influenced my decision. Saw Threads, I think I was maybe 10 or 11, uh, 1985. BBC did a, uh, a season on 40th anniversary of the bomb. Um, they showed the war game and threads, and uh, it really kind of hit home. Middle of the Cold War, we were in at the time, so it really kind of hit home that it was it was real. This is what could have happened. Real happened to real people. Um, I think there's plenty of memorable scenes in the, in the film, but I think that the traffic warden scared me because it was just an average traffic warden uh, given a rifle. Um, and then clearly he'd been in the, uh, he'd been injured, he'd got a, a mask on, he'd been burnt or, or, or sort of flying glass or something. Just that kind of traffic ward, it was all on the front of the Radio Times at the time. And again, it was just real world, surreal world. In between interviews with the hobos, uh, Sean and I, um, we got up to wander around the Nottingham house, trying to pinpoint exactly where Ruth and Jimmy and later Bob and Jimmy, had sat in their scenes in the film. But the interior now is so different that it was hard to be precise. And um, I forgot to mention last week that Sean runs a Facebook group about threads called Thread Survivors. So do look that up if you're on Facebook. In fact, I'll let Sean tell you about it. Here's a clip from the pub where he tells us about his own threads research. Do you want, it's up to you, Sean, do you want to tell us about your Facebook group or any of the research you're doing? It's up to you. Uh, yeah, I've got um, a group on Facebook, a very small uh, community called Threads Survivors. Um, anybody who has an interest is welcome to join. It's people basically just chatting about this sort of stuff, really, kind of what their experiences were of the film and whether they, people that may be slightly more obsessed with it than the average joke. Um, and uh, memes, there's memes, which is always good. Uh, helps us deal with the horror. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm personally thinking uh, and in the early stages of drafting a uh, documentary, um, hopefully to mark the 40th anniversary of the film uh, in 2024. Um, very early stages, but stay tuned and hopefully there'll be some more. Is there anything else you want to cover or any other comments you want to make about Threads? You know. I would say if it's something you're fearful of and uh -huh. you haven't watched it for a long time, be brave. Watch it again. Maybe you haven't watched it since you were a young person. Maybe it's got nightmares that have been with you for 30 years. Um, I would say be brave and watch it again. Watch it through the eyes of an adult. Watch it through the eyes of maybe, maybe uh, now you're one of the parental characters and not one of the young people that are portrayed in the film. Um, and see if you feel any different. It doesn't get any less scary, because that's the reality. But you might take something different from it if you watch it again. Okay, that's good advice from Sean because I know I have a few listeners out there who've confessed that even though they listen to the podcast and the Four Minutes of Threads episodes, they still haven't actually watched the film because they are, understandably, quite nervous about it. But this is me and Sean telling you, try and be brave and watch it.
Back out on the road, David uh, Bomba and I are heading for Sheffield City Centre, where one of the film's most recognisable and uh, frightening scenes was filmed. Yes, we are looking for the shopping precinct, where at 8.30am, the time at which Western response will be slowest, the four-minute warning was sounded. It's 8.30am, 3.30 in the morning in Washington. Over the past four days, neither the president nor his senior staff will have had more than a few hours rest. This is when they may be asleep. This is when Western response will be slowest. The city centre was uh, quite eerie and deserted when we arrived, as this was the day of the Queen's funeral. We had stayed at our Airbnb that morning to watch the service, So when we arrived, it was early afternoon and some shops, uh, mainly coffee and pizza places, were starting to lift the shutters. But the big wide stretch of the shopping precinct, which is called the Moor, was nice and quiet. And I was grateful for that because we were about to do something weird and slightly embarrassing. Of course, one of the most memorable scenes from Threads, well, it's not even a scene, one of the most memorable Moments occurs at this point in the film, on the moor, when the bomb drops. We see the shoppers uh, scatter in panic when they hear the siren. Some of them run into nearby shops. Others stand to look helplessly at the sky as the huge mushroom cloud rises. One woman, uh, an extra played by Anne Sellers, is in such a state of horror that she simply clasps her hand over her mouth as she watches the mushroom cloud, and then the camera slides down to her feet and we see urine come splashing down onto her white shoes. If you look up Anne Sellers on Internet Movie Database, you'll see that she has one entry. It says, Threads, 1984, woman who urinates on herself. Well, we had an idea to recreate one or two scenes from Threads, uh, and we did, as you'll discover later. But we weren't interested in recreating this one. But we did have a dog with us. I wondered, would Bomba perhaps cock his leg against a bin or a lamppost on that same spot? And uh, could I perhaps get a photo of him doing that? Would I want a photo of him doing that? Well, David walked Bomba in circles round and round the spot where the famous urine incident happened, but that wee dog just would not go. His tanks were empty. So I have about 12 photos of Bomba sniffing round bins on the moor, but at no point could he be credited as dog who urinates against bin. He just wasn't up for those big roles. But never mind, because the moor still looks remarkably similar to how it did in the film. Again, plenty of photos on my Patreon page where I documented the whole trip, but so much of it is unchanged and you can still see the shop doorways where the extras ran in terror as though Woolworths was going to offer shelter from the nuclear holocaust. And yes, you can still see all the plate glass windows where the camera lingered, allowing us, uh, prompting us, 
to imagine how in just a few moments, when the blast wave hits, it will all shatter and be transformed into a hundred thousand deadly missiles to shred the skin and pierce the lungs. When the camera is high over the moor and we see everyone run, we are looking down at a kind of white art deco building which housed Burton's. And that is still there. The building itself is still there and yes, Burton's is still there on the ground floor. Next door to it was the big branch of Woolworth's, which of course they have all closed down now in Britain and it is now New Look. But there was one big change and it was quite annoying as um, when David was trying to film that spot, the same one that the camera got in threads, his view of what was Woolworth's was blocked partially by a big glassy Cafe Nero, which has been plonked down right outside what is now New Look, right in the centre of the pedestrian area. In the film, the section occupied now by Cafe Nero is a kind of raised platform with steps and flower beds on it. But yep, it's now a big coffee shop. So when I sent David up three floors of what is, I think, a cinema complex opposite to try and capture that same elevated view which we had in Threads, we must use our imaginations because instead of seeing a big windy expanse of 1980s shopping precinct, we have a trendy coffee shop right in the centre of our view. Now, everyone who grew up in 1980s Britain knows that there was no good coffee around, not in 1984, not in the Britain we knew. <laughs> but otherwise, the view along the moor is largely the same. Some new shops here and there, of course, but the Burton shop remains, as does the big Debenhams across the way. And if you turn and look straight up the moor, you can see the spot where in the film the mushroom cloud rises. So visiting this spot was uh, the most satisfying point of our trip so far, the most unchanged, the most easily identifiable as being from threads, straight from threads. And I suppose uh, being there on the day of the Queen's funeral meant the place felt strange and disjointed, everything shuttered and subdued. And no doubt that added to the general threadsy atmosphere. Because as we know, at this point in the film, a lot of businesses would have shut down. We know that when Ruth says she's going to phone in sick to her office, she says that a lot of staff had already vanished. They hadn't turned up. And we know that the phone lines have now been cut off. So the country is already closing down, holding its breath, braced for attack. We walked up the moor towards the point where the mushroom cloud rose. There's actually a slope here. You can't see it properly in the film, but you do need to walk uphill. So at the top of the hill, the city flattens out and you find yourself at a very grand set of Victorian buildings uh, done in a lovely golden stone. It's a pretty sight, as much of the brick or stonework in Sheffield seemed to be dark, so seeing all this blonde stonework, it was quite nice. So this is Sheffield Town Hall, and the Peace Gardens. But as we approached, I heard a loud commanding voice echoing round the Peace Gardens, and I thought, oh no, what's this? A street preacher with a loudspeaker? Uh, one of those sandwich board guys shouting that the end is near? 
But thankfully, no. As we came over the brow of the hill and entered the Peace Gardens, we saw a huge screen had been set up in the square, and of course it was to show the Queen's funeral. Now, by this point, the main service was over, and it was now showing the Queen's coffin arriving at Windsor, so most of the crowd had dispersed. But the TV was still there, and David Dimbleby, I think it was, was still booming out over the square. Now, this is where the famous uh, so-called egg box building of Sheffield Council used to be. And it's where our council workers were buried alive after the bomb dropped in the film. That building, uh, a bit of an eyesore, I think most people would agree. Especially when they plonked it alongside the lovely Victorian buildings of the town hall. It was built in 1977 as an extension to the old town hall, but was demolished in 2002. In this uh, lovely square, uh, lovely now that the egg box has gone, we found the Peace Gardens, which contained trees and fountains and flower beds. Sadly, the fountains were dry when we got there, but according to Sheffield Council, when they are in flow, they are supposed to represent the waters of Sheffield's five rivers and also the pouring of molten metal used in Sheffield's famous steel industry. There are also some plaques dedicated to those who lost their lives in war. Again, there are pictures on my Patreon, but I'll read the contents of one of them to you. The most relevant one, I suppose, to to our interest. This square, previously named St Paul's Gardens, was called by the people of Sheffield the Peace Gardens and was dedicated as such on Hiroshima Day on 6th of August 1985 in the presence of three Hibakusha, survivors of the atomic devastation of the city of Sheffield. Oh, sorry, Freudian slip. Atomic devastation of the city of Hiroshima. It was rebuilt in celebration of the second millennium and rededicated in the name of peace on 9th December 1998 by the children of Sheffield. Blessed be the peacemakers for they shall be called the children of God. By this point on our journey, we were starting to get hungry. So we decided to do one more Threads location visit, and then we'd consult Google and try to find a brilliant Chinese takeaway, and then head back to the Airbnb with about, hopefully, 12 bags of food. That's my idea of a good time. So the last stop on our tour for this day was the old Sheffield Royal Infirmary. Now you will know the scene, the infamous hospital scene from Threads, and we see hundreds and hundreds of battered, wounded survivors shuffling and shambling up the hospital steps. There is no panic in the scene, there is no howling and screaming and pushing. The crowds at this point are probably in the shock of disaster syndrome, which we've discussed on the podcast before, and so are, at this point, perhaps incapable of strong emotion. They just shuffle like zombies into the hospital, up the stairs and into the main entrance. And that's where I stood now. The building is no longer a hospital. It is now luxury flats. But the exterior is still the same as we see it in the film. There was a big Tesco directly next door to the hospital, which was of course closed because of the Queen's funeral, and so we were able to park there. And 
walk straight into the grounds of what was once Sheffield Royal Infirmary. Um, I was pleasantly surprised by that because it's now a housing development. So I thought perhaps there'll be a gate or something, but no, we could just walk straight into the grounds and the building is instantly recognisable. But it looks like it's a different colour from the film. When we see it in the film, the hospital building is black, literally black. But when I visited, it was a lovely golden honey colour. Well, this is due to sandblasting. And the same thing happened to my own city, Glasgow, which, like Sheffield, was in its heyday a big industrial city. And so, in the Victorian era, all their lovely grand buildings were (laughs) turned black, utterly black, with soot. The soot of the Industrial Revolution. Well, the Sheffield Hospital in threads is black, but is now restored to its original warm golden stone. Although, of course, you'll agree that having the place coated in filth and grime and soot and smoke was certainly fitting for a city which has supposedly just been nuked. But apart from the the colour of her stone, I was very obviously standing at the foot of the steps where we see our shuffling wounded survivors. There was one other big difference to the building. Uh, In the film, we see, and the camera lingers on this, a Bible verse painted in gilt lettering above the doorway. And this is now gone. I assume they removed it when they developed it as luxury flats because it's uh, obviously more suited to a hospital. The verse, uh, which you see in the film, read... I was sick and you visited me, verily inasmuch as you have done it unto the least of these my brethren, you have done it unto me. So, golden Bible verse gone, and grime and soot of the Victorian era gone, but otherwise the building, its exterior at least, is identical. And it was strange to stand there because it looked so lovely and soft and clean and golden, And the railings outside where our zombie survivors shuffled past, that had, um, there were some bikes chained to the railings. And at the foot of the steps, uh, there were some young hipster looking dudes out smoking a few cigarettes. The place just seemed really chill and soft and clean. A complete uh, change, of course, from the way we see it in the film. So I stood there on the lovely golden clean steps and tried to summon up that bleak menace from the film, from its awful hospital scene. But the place was just too nice. Hipster bikes chained to the railings, hipster dudes to one side smoking. So as I stood there on the steps, all I could really think was, I could murder a Chinese takeaway. And so, according to Google, the best one on our route home was Golden Taste on London Road. So if anyone is in Sheffield and wants a recommendation, that's mine. We got our Chinese and we went home and, well fed and well rested, we set out the next day for more Sheffield exploration. And I'll bring that to you in part three. Remember, if you want to see um, all the photographs and all the write-ups from my trip to Sheffield, you can get it on my Patreon site. If you want to join us there, it's patreon.com forward slash Atomic Hobo. You can get access there by offering a 
monthly donation to the podcast. It's up to you, the amount that you want to pay. But as you'll see on the Patreon site, uh, different levels give you different types of rewards. The most popular is £3 a month, which gets you access to additional podcast episodes. So please do take a look and consider joining us there. I would be very grateful. I'm also keeping everyone updated over on Patreon as to what's happening with my book. So please do take a look at patreon.com forward slash Atomic Hobo. And let me say hello and thank you to my newest patrons who've signed up in the last week, Vicky McMahon and Tom Sheard. I'll be back on Monday with part three, the final part of our Sheffield series. <laughs>